Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today on the podcast, we have a conversation with Mark Roberts on Ephesians in the Story of God commentary series. Scott, we got a great conversation with Mark. Obviously, he's got a, a pastoral heart here and um, hits a lot of great emphasis on the, this book of Ephesians that's so important, doesn't he? Well, he is. And uh, um, that commentary that he wrote, when I read it in the manuscript form, I thought, wow, this is everything we're looking for. So I'm hoping the listeners will enjoy Mark, get to listen to his voice and his heart, and then uh, buy the commentary and use it for their ministry, for their life. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and so before we jump in, we got a Ask Scott question that kind of is fitting with the theme of unity that we talk about later in the podcast. And um, our listener, Mark, asks about uh, spiritual unity among Christians. He says he's a Protestant and his wife is a Catholic. And they talk about the question of having a single version of the truth that is embodied in the Catholic Church. And uh, he just wonders about... um, you know, his question being ultimately, um, does Christ hope all Christians will come together under some sort of type of hierarchical structure in the Catholic Church? And wonders if you have any thoughts on maybe unity between those two parties or what would be the best uh, approach to being able to, to have some sort of unity or work towards that? Well, this is a good question, and it uh, it strikes at the heart of a text like John 17 and Ephesians chapter 2 uh, and Paul's entire vision uh, of building churches where their people were brought together. Uh, the vision of the New Testament, and it's limited because of the times and the, the church was not legal, etc., didn't have power and money, uh, was that there would be a multitude of churches in a, in a given city— uh, rather than just one church, uh, all meeting together in some great big basilica. Uh, so that was that's important, and that is a strike right in the direction of some diversity and some locality. Now, on the hierarchy of the church, I believe that what God wants of his people is to be one, uh, but I don't think that the Roman Catholic idea that they should be the one is, is very helpful because the Orthodox think the same thing and the Presbyterians think the same thing and the Baptists think the same thing. So I don't believe that the Catholic belief that they are the one hierarchical church and that they somehow can create the unity that the whole world needs is actually very helpful. So for right now, we have to live with the struggle that many Christians don't get along very well And this is where I believe local church pastors and local church Christians can help transcend these differences by learning to fellowship with Christians in other groups, in other denominations, in other churches, uh, and and express the unity of Christ while we do not yet have that uh, in a structural or hierarchical manner. So, no, I don't agree uh, that uh, the Roman Catholic Church is the um, single best option for creating unity in the church today. Yeah, but unity is the goal, and Mark shares some great things in in today's episode, so we won't take any more time. We'll let you get to that, but thanks for joining us today. Hope you enjoy the episode. 
Today we have with us Mark Roberts, uh, who is uh, a professor and administrator at Fuller Theological Seminary. I got to know Mark many years ago when he was working in Texas at a camp, and it was one of the most beautiful, out-of-the-way places that I've ever been in my life, and we had to drive our car across a river, which I will never forget. And then uh, uh, Mark, because of uh, the opportunity to edit a series with Zondervan uh, called The Story of God Bible Commentary, um, I immediately thought of Mark Roberts as one of us. He fits everything we were looking for, uh, a PhD in New Testament, uh, lots of teaching experience, and a pastor who has preached and preached for years and years in the Presbyterian Church in California. And so we asked him, and we also asked him to come on the podcast to talk a little bit about this commentary on Ephesians and his work. And I'm uh, Mark, I'd like to begin not only by welcoming you to the Kingdom Roots podcast, but to ask if you would tell our uh, listeners how you went about writing this commentary, because from what I remember, uh, you did things differently than probably most. <laughs> Happy to. Well, first, Scott, thanks for letting me on your podcast. I've, I've listened to a bunch of your episodes. It's a, it's a great listen, and I'm glad to be able to be a part of it today. So thanks. Yeah. And yeah, writing that commentary. So I... You, you you rightly mentioned my experience, but I think many of your writers are probably in places where they're teaching in seminary or in, in some sort of context where they, they probably would have done a course or two on Ephesians, and I didn't have that opportunity. Uh, and and yet I, I knew I wanted to work with a text, and I wanted to work with a text a lot with people. So things I did that I had never done exactly before. One is I listened to Ephesians, uh, an audible uh, version of Ephesians, at least 100 times in English and at least 50 times in somebody reading ancient Greek. Uh, and it was, a, it was a fascinating experience because I heard things I hadn't seen. And, and it was, uh, so it was a great way just for me to just immerse myself in the text again and again and again. And, and that was a, a great experience. That's number one. Number two, at the time I was uh, working for Laity Lodge, part of the H.E. Butt Foundation in Texas, and I was doing uh, daily devotions. And for, gosh, I think it was two and a half years I worked devotionally through Ephesians, uh, bit by bit, uh, sometimes word by word, often lingering on a verse where I was I was reflecting on the, you know the, the sort of the historical and the textual literary meaning of, of the the text, but also really connecting it into um, daily life and faith uh, uh, over and over again. And in that context, I, I invited people to correspond with me. To let me know what are your questions, what are your thoughts, what are your insights, and I probably had, I mean, literally, let's just say a thousand emails over the course of that time from people weighing in on this and that. That really meant a lot to me. I didn't understand that, um, and so even though I wasn't a preaching pastor or teaching in a course, I, I had that opportunity through those devotions and through through then the email conversation to really be in community with people as I wrote. And, and that was really important in, in developing my, my understanding of the text, to be sure, but also how the text speaks into our life and 
as you know, Scott, in the story of God, it's it's uh, sort of two thirds focus on the the text, and then one third is really how do we live the story. And it was yeah. great to get a lot of people talking to me about how they're living the story. Well, Mark, um, I've told people this, and I'm not supposed to do this as the general editor, but my favorite two commentaries in the series are yours on Ephesians and Dennis Edwards, my colleague in New Testament now, but a pastor for 30 years um, on First Peter, because I think, uh, I think pastors bring things to the text that uh, we professors probably don't see because we haven't experienced the text in the context of many people seeking yeah. to live it. So yeah. I just really appreciate what you did on Ephesians. Well, All right. thank you. Uh, any other thoughts on writing it? I mean, you know, you the Well, uh, just just, you know, I mean, you know this, Scott, you've done this. Uh, writing a commentary is hard. I've written popular books. I, I'd say per page a commentary is five to ten times as hard and slow as writing a popular book. Oh. And, you know, part of it is you just really have to dig into things. And part of it is you can't skip stuff. So like yeah. in Ephesians, I, I mean, I had, I had studied it before. I had I was very familiar with it. But there are certain verses. Literally, I was dreading as I started this thing. Like at the end of chapter one, this, this verse about how, you know, it, it's about the church in Christ. And there's this phrase about the church being his body and then NIV has the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I like had no idea what that meant. <laughs> and you know, when you preach it or teach it, you can just sort of skip it or say something. You got a commentary, you got to figure out what you actually think it means. Yeah. And again and again in this text, I uh I had that experience, but I got to tell you, I, I mean, for me, writing a commentary isn't just an academic thing. I mean, it is a prayerful thing. I cannot tell you how many times, literally, in the context of writing, I went to the Lord and said, Lord, I, I really need your help, and please, yeah. you know, guide me, and, and God was amazingly faithful in, in that, uh, in responding to that prayer. Well, uh, it's obvious from, from the reading of the commentary that that's true. I, I, I want to return to this. You listened a hundred times in English. I and fifty times that is fifty times in Greek. That is really amazing because I I got to tell you, Mark, I have never done that in my life. Although I did listen, I, I have done some of this with the uh, the TNIV produced um, the Bible. I think it was called the Bible Experience, mm. and it was read by Hollywood's African Americans. Huh. And like. Denzel Washington, yeah, yeah. And, and it was, I really enjoyed listening to that, but I don't think, I know I never listened to any book twice, but I remember listening to Romans, I, I listened to Genesis, and then something happened to my CD player in my car, and <laughs> yeah. uh, it was the only car I had, so, well, all right, we ha we'll have to move on. In in writing uh, this, this work on Ephesians, uh, in the story of God, uh, what surprised you most about the book of Ephesians? Oh, that's a great question. You know, so it, it, it wouldn't be one thing, but I think what surprised me, so I knew Ephesians fairly well going in. I did my, my dissertation on Paul. I did on First Thessalonians, but Paul in theology, I, I've you know, preached and taught, and I did. I never did an exegesis course when I was an adjunct, but I certainly taught Ephesians in different contexts. And I felt like I really knew the book pretty well. 
I think the surprise was how much I learned. Uh -huh. I mean, and how, how it's really fundamentally uh, transformed a lot of my thinking in, in my theology and even my life uh, in, in terms that I never really expected. So I think I went in thinking, I've got a pretty good idea what 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 this is going to be. And, and I think I know this book. I, I learned so many different things and came to so many different uh, really amazing insights, as I say, that have been transformational. And I wasn't expecting that. That was yeah. a surprise. And, no. you know, just... Go yeah, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, an example would be, and of course, Scott, you know this because you've read the commentary, but, you know, I mean, I taught and read Ephesians a whole lot of time and never really, really thought a lot about uh, chapter 1, verse 10, which is this, you know, plan, God's plan for the fullness of time. And in IV, it says to bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under Christ. And, you know, that was, I just... I think I just sort of read through that. But mm. all of a sudden it dawned on me and studying me, wait a minute, this is, Paul's saying, this is God's big plan, you know? Mm. This is the big thing, to mm. bring unity to all things heaven and earth. And, I mean, it occurred to me, I think you could probably, you know, interview a thousand Christians and say, you know, what is God's big plan? they never say this. I wouldn't have said this. Mm. And as I really reflected on what is this and why is it there, and then began to see throughout Ephesians again and again the importance of unity in, in so many different th contexts that I had just not seen before. So that was, I mean, it was an amazing discovery uh, and, and a great surprise. You know, Mark, you said earlier uh, that commentary writing is hard, and I've written a few commentaries, and it is hard, and a lot of young professors and young PhDs, they want to write commentaries, and I often say to them, you have no idea what you're getting into here. This is a lot of work. Uh, every, and it's, it's true that it's every word and every passage you start over, whereas when you're writing a normal book, um, you, there's momentum that builds up to almost mm. by the middle of the book, the book's beginning to write itself. Mm. Mm. Uh, there's nothing like that in writing the, uh, a commentary. And it is the to me. It has been in the process of putting things together mm. that I thought I I had together. I could teach the text pretty well, mm -hmm. but when you start writing it and it starts getting really narrow and fine, yeah. and yeah. every sentence and word matters, all of a sudden just things start leaping out of the text. And so, I I think what you're saying about discovering, I I taught Colossians. I don't know and Sermon on the Mount. I don't know how many times. And when I wrote Colossians for Erdman's and when I w wrote the Sermon on the Mount for the Story of God, all kinds of things came out that I I thought I had seen, but I hadn't seen them in their yeah. clarity. So I, I'm I'm uh, grateful you said that. You yeah. know, in in, re in writing, in, in thinking about Ephesians, what's uh, what's your favorite theme uh, in this in this letter that uh, if you got to do a series again on on Ephesians, mm -hmm. you'd. What, what what would it be? Well, I, I, I mean, I, I, if I had to choose one, it probably would be the thing I just mentioned, uh, the unity. theme of unity and, and yeah. God unifying all things in Christ, because it ties together so many pieces of the book. So, for example, one of the things that that really brought out to me in such a powerful way was the second half of chapter two. Now, I'm mm -hmm. from a tradition that I mean, you know, the first half of, of Ephesians 2 is, you know, 
you know, the, at the very core of our theology in terms of saved by grace through faith, and, and you know, and, and that's it. And, and the second half, uh, verses 11 through 22, were sort of, you know, almost like a footnote. Yeah, also there's other stuff, and it matters, but that's not the main thing. You know, when you begin to see, first of all, you just take that chapter seriously and see the balance and the way that it's, it's structured, you realize, oh, wow, this second half is not incidental. Yeah, but yeah, playing out of that theme of unity, then the second half, I'm not going to say it's more important, because if you're not saved by, by grace through faith, then, you know, the second half isn't going to work. But mm -hmm. the second half is not, you know, incidental. It's absolutely essential to, if, if God's big plan is to unite all things in Christ, he's going to begin with people who are, are enemies, in that case, Jews and Greeks, but the unifying of people in Christ through the cross, the cross mm -hmm. itself is doing that, is then not just uh, an additional thought about the cross, but it becomes absolutely essential to what God is doing and God's big plan. And so it begins to lift, so unity begins to lift up other things uh, within within the whole book. You know, uh, Mark, uh, I taught I've been teaching 35 years, and I would say the first 29 years, uh, my focus was on Jesus and the Gospels. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I was at Trinity, I did not teach uh, the uh, introduction to Paul because everybody else, else in the department wanted to teach it, and they were all experts in it. Mm -hmm. And when I got to North Park, I didn't get to teach Paul because— there was another professor in the New Testament department, and that was the class he taught. So I did not really teach Paul till I got to uh, Northern Seminary, and I, I was ready to do it. I, I wanted to, to start working on Paul um, more carefully. And what has really come home to me, and it's something you're just bringing up now, is that I think we tend to make Paul a systematic theologian or a philosopher. Mm. But Paul was uh, more of a pastor, church planter, ecclesiologian uh, than, than a systematic theologian. And I've just become so convinced that when you read Paul, even Romans, which a lot of people want to turn into systematics, when you read Romans, you realize that there's such a pastoral intent. And so much of that theology, even in Romans 1 through 8, is emerging from his ministry and church planting ministry throughout Asia Minor and Greece, <laughs> that this it's it's pastoral theology. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, go ahead, talk about that, because I know... Right. Amen to that. And, yeah. and, you know, so actually you just sort of uh, articulated the main thesis of my, my doctoral dissertation that I wrote many years ago. I focused on, on First Thessalonians there, but the, the focus was on Paul as a pastor. And I was Is that right? To, yeah. And I was trying to argue that that's I, I wasn't saying that's the most important lens through which to see Paul, but that was a, a greatly neglected lens. And I tried to show how Paul, in fact, pastored the Thessalonians through the vehicle of a letter. And, and that's was what I was doing. But I've, I've sort of lived that academically and then I've lived it pastorally. Uh, and it, it makes such sense of Paul. And, and there's certainly ways in which he can serve the interests of systematic theology. But he, you know, it's ironic that Ephesians may be the one letter uh, that is not actually 
really focused on one community. I mean, there's debate about that, and I yes, try to yes. deal with that. But it's it's arguable, and I'm persuaded that Ephesians really was Paul's e- effort to write a letter that had was going to be for several different churches. So in one sense, it might be the least pastoral in 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 a way. At the same time, I think you just as you read through that, you sense his pastoral heart, his dealing with real people in real situations. Uh, and, and so what he's, his theology, which is as lofty as it ever gets, right, in yeah, Ephesians, uh, right. at the same yeah. time, is then going to be really staked down into the real life of, of real Christian people. And there's that powerful pastoral um, a, a sort of dire- direction to his thinking. Okay, now I got I to gotta return to something you said. Uh, I have a book right now, a manuscript at Baker called Pastor Paul. And it's on um, Paul. Uh, uh, my my contention is that Paul is, sees pastoral ministry and his ministry in a sense of pastoring apostolic delegates who are pastoring pastors so that they can pastor people. Mm-hmm. So um, I uh, I say that the pastor's responsibility is to nurture Christoformity mm-hmm. uh, or cruciformity, you know, Christ likeness, mm-hmm. as Dallas Willard said. And uh, using that lens, I just I tapped on seven different themes in in Paul's letters, and I felt like I could have tapped on fifty. Um, but I I had no idea that you had written on this. I did not read dissertations for it. I, mm-hmm. yeah. And I was quite disappointed in the number of treatments yeah. of people looking at Paul as a pastor. Uh, I've even had people say he wasn't a pastor; he was an apostle. Think, right, right. What do you think apostles did? Do you think they went around <laughs> like nuncios from one city to another, uh, yes. issuing forth uh, <laughs> documents or something? So uh, I'm real. I'm really glad you worked on that. And and yeah. First Thessalonians is there's some of the the great uh, pastoral expressions of Paul in, right. in those letters. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I, I I'll be eager to see your book because I, I I think very much along the lines that you just said. I, I think that's important. Well, um, another question: um, advice for pastors who are going to preach Ephesians. Uh, what what are some suggestions you'd give to them? Because I'm hoping that many of our readers, our pastors, our listeners are are pastors who will say, "I'm going to buy Mark Roberts' commentary and I'm going to preach through the Book of Ephesians." You know, so you've already given away my, my my number one piece of advice, which is by the commentary. So I, I guess I can't <laughs> say that. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, and you know, pastors have limited time. I mean, part of what I'd love to say is do what I did. Listen to it. Listen to it a hundred times. And I realize most pastors listening to this podcast would say, yeah, and, and in all my spare time. Yeah. And, and, and that's one of the real challenges of pastoring. But I do think, I mean, we, we've got to immerse ourselves in the text and, and and we just got to do that. So that's that would be true of preaching anything. I think when it comes to preaching Ephesians, I think they got to go in aware that this is this is. This is going to be some some heavy sledding here. Um, you know, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I had told you, Scott, when you first asked me if I wanted to write that I wanted to do Ephesians. And one of the reasons I wanted to do Ephesians is I had never preached through it. And the reason I'd never preached through it is I never felt like I was up to it. I never felt like I was wise enough. And, and, yeah. and I was, yeah. in fact, going to preach uh, Ephesians in my church in Irvine. And then I left. And, and it was like this sort of 
great sense of sort of remorse and unfinished business. Uh, you know, I, I think, I mean, I think to, to pay close attention to that theme of unity, uh, I, I really don't think I'm just making this up. I think it's there. Oh, I think it, right. it's, it's profoundly in the text. I think also, obviously, one of the great, great things about Ephesians is it has so much to say about what the church is. Maybe not so much individual churches, but the church of Jesus Christ. And in a day when, when the church is in such turmoil, when people are, you know, planning churches and coming up with new ideas of churches, and thanks be to God for all of that, this is this is a text that anchors us in, in God's will for and vision for the church as the body of Christ. And and to me, that's just absolutely rock solid to any pastor who is seeking to uh, pastor well. And and uh, so, you know, pay attention to the unity, pay attention to the church. And the, the third thing, and this, of course, I mean, Ephesians tells the story of God. I mean, I think some of the folk writing in this in the, this series, they're going to find it. But in, in Ephesians, it's just there. This mm-hmm. is what God did before the creation of the world, you know, through Christ to the end of time. And so I'd, I'd also say really pay attention to that story and then how the story then is going to be lived out in the community in its life. And that's, you know, chapters four to six. Very good. Very good. Now, Mark, we uh, we make this little transition toward the end at the end here toward uh, some more fun questions. I'm calling these the ring of fire questions. All right. So if you could preach in any church in the world just one time, where would it be? Wow, that is that's such an interesting question. So you, you will find this. No, I actually have an answer. This isn't quite going to answer your question, but this is what I. This really is true. I've done a, quite a bit of preaching in different places, guest preaching, yeah. and I, I am glad to do that, and I, I value that. But what I love as a preacher is preaching to my own people. And so what I, it, it, so the real answer to your question would be it would be preaching in the church where I was the pastor or at least a, a, a member of that church. So right now I'm not I'm not serving as a pastor, although I'm still a pastor, but I'm working at Fuller. I attend the First Presbyterian Church of Hollywood when they invite me to preach there. I love that, not because it's a big and famous church, but because it's the people that I'm living life with and sharing life with. And, oh, and that's me, awesome. Yeah. So that's, that's awesome. my answer. I I would want to preach at St. Paul's Cathedral in London, I guess, but I'm never going to be asked. Okay. If you, you could, could, just, ban- could just go yeah. and, and start doing it and see what happens. <laughs> I have taken communion there. All right. <laughs> if you could ban any theologian, who would it be? Oh, sheesh. Ban any theologian. Oh, my goodness. That is really... Uh... Oh, I mean, there are people okay, that are yeah. just destructive. You know, yes, I, 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 I'm not gonna. You know, you want a name, but I'm not gonna say a name because there's a relationship here. There, there is a particular theologian who is brilliant, but he is so unChrist-like in the way he does his theology. It, it, so it isn't his his bad ideas necessarily that get me. But it, it feels to me like the way he does theology, and especially the way he deals with his opponents, is so contrary to the gospel. It just it just fries me, and uh, that that's. But I'm not going to say the name. That's good. You're a pastor. You are so uh, much a pastor. All right. 
Who's your favorite novelist? <laughs> you know, okay, my favorite novel is Les Miserables by okay. Victor Hugo. I've actually read that twice, but I haven't read others of his his things. But I, I, uh, I just, I, I, yeah. So I would say Victor Hugo. Okay. Who is your, what's your favorite sport? To watch or to think that I'm playing? <laughs> Both. I suppose, so in high school I did track. I wasn't great, but I love watching Olympic track. I do Partly too. because I, I, you know, I just marvel at the, the extraordinary talent. And there's kind of a purity. Like when you watch Usain Bolt run, that was just like this pure athletic beauty. So so I think I would say that. It, but And in terms of sports to play, it's not exactly sport, but I love hiking. It, it's Because okay. it, I love getting out in nature and being alone or in quiet. So it's not quite sport, but that's what I'd say, hiking. How about your favorite athlete? You're going to say Usain Bolt? Well, you know, no, I have to go way back for this because I grew up in Los Angeles. I was a kid. I was a big Dodger fan. I love Sandy Koufax. Oh, he was so good. Yeah. We're both old enough to remember watching it, too. I know. The, the millennials are saying now, who was that? Sandy? Yeah. And part of what I loved about him, you know, he was he was Jewish and he didn't pitch a world series game he was supposed to pitch yep. because it was on uh, what um young uh, oh, one of the two of those i yeah, yeah i just remember even at the time i mean i was probably 10 or something thinking he really takes his his faith seriously and yeah. I, I love that about him too yeah my favorite at that time was yeah. lou brock st louis ooh, cardinal ooh, so he was an amazing he, he was amazing wasn't he your favorite movie uh, okay, so I'll say two because there's a serious one and a and a and a not serious one. The serious one is Chariots of Fire, okay. and the not serious one. Well, it, it's serious in a different way, but the comedy one is a Groundhog Day. <laughs> I can't see you that one. Okay, your favorite song, Christian or non-Christian? Well, I'll tell you. I can't even talk about it. The song I can't get through is Great Is Thy Faithfulness. I can't sing it without crying. And partly it's because I just have this gigantic sense of God's faithfulness in my life and to begin to express that. And then there's also the fact that, like, that's the song we sang in the memorial service for my dad and for my mom. It's the one thing I've told my family when it's my time. I, I, I want to sing this song. And, and so that song, partly it's it, it's proclaiming God's faithfulness and then it partly it's what it means in you know my own life experience that's good um because you were in Texas I'll ask the question do you think Texas should become a country of its own <laughs> <laughs> well see now I'm in California California has a similar thing no, you ought you, to be yeah you know what in all seriousness uh, although I know this is the time our country is so divided up we we, we need the diversity of our country. There are some fantastic things about Texas. I, you know, I lived in Massachusetts for a long time. I mean, we need the the diversity of views and and living. And and so, if any of the regions decided to break away and become their own thing, I think that region would be impoverished, and I think our nation would be impoverished. 
Yep. Yep. Okay. Last question. Mm. Uh, have you seen Walk the Line, the movie about Johnny Cash? Oh, it doesn't. Yes, but it sort of doesn't count. <laughs> on an airplane. You know what I'm okay. saying? Okay. Yeah. I I watched it on an airplane the other day, coming back from Dublin. It was the second time I saw it, but it's not the same as the theater. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, Mark, it was great to have you with us, and your your uh, this is going to be a highlight for our listeners to have you on here to get to meet oh, you. So thank you, thank yeah, you. No, so I, I I might mention I'm I'm still doing devotions. I'm doing them. They're called Life for Leaders. I do it through uh, the Max Dupree Center at Fuller, and I'm actually doing a second lap through Ephesians. I'm in the fourth chapter now. So if people want to get Ephesians in a different way, they could come to the Dupree Center website, and there we send them out for free. And and you know, so let me just give that little ad because okay. I'm lo loving doing Ephesians again. And thanks, Scott, for the opportunity that you gave me to just go so deeply into that book. I, I'm I'm really grateful for it. Um, Mark, I don't think I've ever asked you, but are you teaching at Fuller too? I am teaching a, a, a doctor ministry cohort, and I'm loving. In my work at the Dupree Center, I focus a lot on uh, questions of faith, work, economics, vocation, those kinds of issues. Okay. work a lot with Christians in the marketplace. So I'm actually teaching a D-min on faith, work, economics, and vocation. Uh, mostly for pastors and uh, leaders of nonprofits, but really to help them do ministry that really affects Christians who are living out their faith every day in the work in the marketplace. Well, so that so that's the teaching I'm doing, and I'm having a great time. Well, we uh, we're interested in developing that area at Northern. I, I've heard the conversations. I'm I'm not involved in it, but that's that's good. Okay, yeah. Mark, we'll let you go. Thanks so much. Uh, for joining with us, and God bless you and your ministries uh, there. Thank you. All right. Thanks to you and you too, Jess. Yeah, thanks, Mark, and thanks our listeners for joining in today. Hopefully you enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. And um, like Mark mentioned, those um, those devos, if you're interested in grabbing those, I'll include a link in the show notes to those, um, as well as just this whole idea and concept of unity. Um, man, so important as we talk about how the kingdom not just took root then, but is taking root now. So thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to have you join us on our next conversation as we continue it on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now.